Well, Faith Church, on, on behalf of One Life Church, um, I just want to let you know that we're truly, truly grateful for this opportunity to partner together in this way. Um, our unity is based in Christ, right? We're members of the same body, have been bought by the same blood, and are united together by that same blood in Christ, and really are grateful for this opportunity. I'm thankful to share with y'all this evening. Uh, Thankful to open up God's word and to do that on Monday. I get it right? Yeah. I, don't, I pronounce words. Ma. Ma. Yeah. Okay. I'll get lessons later. So, yeah. <laughs> grateful to, to, to do that and to share. And uh, I, I'm really grateful and thankful for your pastor. We've got to know each other over the last few years. Um, you know, and it's just a special thing when you can meet someone that is, is not someone that assumes the same occupation as you, you know, but someone that's a, truly a friend and a brother and a fellow encourager. And, you know, you can link arms together and seek to make Jesus known in Genesee County and beyond. That's our mission. That's our commission to do that. You know, we don't operate like businesses do, you know, like a business that you look at each other as competition, that's not what we are. We're on the same exact team doing the same exact work. And I hope God blows the doors off this place through conversions. I hope he does the same thing for us. And I hope he plants a bunch of churches out of both of them in the future so we can see Jesus made known in Genesee County and beyond. So just, just really, really grateful and thankful for you all, thankful for your pastor and excited about um, the, the days ahead. But for this evening, for the, the time that I briefly have, I will narrowly focus in on John 13, verses 34 and 35. This is the command that Jesus gave. So as was read in the service earlier, what took place, we know they went into the disciples and Jesus, they went into the upper room. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then what we didn't read in this, this text, though, was then they instituted the Lord's Supper. They had the Lord's Supper together, and that was instituted to remind people of, uh, it was set in place to remind people of Jesus' continual presence for them and the sacrifice that he gave for them. And we also have here that J Judas was excommunicated from the group. So this, this is all taking place, and right on the heels of this, Right on the heels of these really uh, amazing events, Jesus inserts this commandment. And he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I'm just going to make three very uh, brief observations from this text this evening, and we'll drive it home. The first thing is, as we consider this text, it says that Jesus gives a new commandment. But it's very important that the new commandment that he was giving here, that we understand what the new part of it is. And the way to understand what the new part of it is, is to understand what it is not. So Jesus is not introducing here for the first time a commandment to love one another. That is not a commandment exclusive to the New Covenant era. 
And I'm saying that because that's very important because many times in our contemporary Christian culture today, this idea will be floated around and taught that the, the new covenant or the New Testament is the section that talks about love. And then the Old Testament just talks about this unloving law. And we kind of pin them against one another. And we say, well, the, the, the law of God, God's law has nothing to do with love, but now we have Jesus and he gives us the new commandment to love. It's like, no, that's not the new part of the commandment. God's law is actually the epitome of what it means to love one another. Like when you study his law, what he's teaching you is how you love one another. Let me just break this down at a fundamental level. If you just look at the the pure letter of the law in the Ten Commandments, wouldn't you say that it's pretty loving if you don't murder someone, commit adultery, uh, and uh, covet what they have, right? If you do those things, it's not loving. If, if, you, if you violate those, it's not loving. If you uphold them, it's loving. <laughs> so, like, God's law is not this anti-love legalistic, rigid thing, God's law actually teaches us what love looks like. And to make it even clearer, we have a one verse of several that we could quote that just uh, quotes this ex- same exact thing about this command to love one another. Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor As yourself, I am the Lord. God's desire has always been for people to love one another, whether it's Old Covenant or New Covenant. So that is not the new part of the commandment. His command has always been to love. So then you say, well, what is the new part of the commandment that he is giving here? The new part is that it is a command to love like Jesus loved. So what's being introduced here now in this point is something that happened for the very first time in history. There is a person that came into the world and that can actually say, do as I say and do as I do. Jesus can actually say that there is now a standard of a human example for you to look at to see what it is to love. That is what is new. Yes, you were always to love one another, but now you actually have an example of what it looks like to love one another. That is what Jesus is introducing and what Jesus is giving to them. Jesus can say, follow after me. No one else can fully and confidently say that, can they? But Jesus can. And that's what he says here. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And this is an important thing to establish that Jesus is the standard and the example for how we are to love one another, isn't it? Particularly in our culture today, uh, this idea of love, defining love, it's like a junk drawer term, isn't it? Does anyone know what I mean by that? Like you go to your junk drawer, there's a bunch of different stuff in there. Like, we use love like it's a junk drawer term. I love this house. I, I love this. You know, like, we throw that out in, in almost uh, normal 
vernacular, no more language all the time. But we also define love purely by a feeling in our culture today, don't we? So people like wonder, like, how, do, how can I kind of wrap my mind around what love is? Like, we, don't, we can't seem to get a handle on it. And we use it all the time. We also think it's purely a feeling, and we just can't, like, wrap our minds around it. And if you try to define it, you go to places like Webster's Dictionary and try to define what love is, it will have something like this in each and every definition that purely talks about an affection, a feeling, an affection one has for another person, a benevolent feeling one has for another person. And this term of love is, is purely just relegated to a feeling. Or you could go to the Urban Dictionary, which says and defines love that it's nature's way of tricking people into reproducing. So maybe closer than a lot of the Webster's ones. I don't know. But still missing the mark, right? So we have no idea what it is to love. And what we've done is we've left Jesus in his standard and we've tried to develop our own standard of what it is to love. And that is why there is massive confusion on this topic of what it truly means to love one another. But Jesus says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And in this immediate context, Jesus gives us three clear examples of how he loved them, right? Like we could go broad stroke and, and consider, you know, his entire life, but I, I think he's given, he's kind of summarizing what just took place in that evening, I, I believe is like the main point he's He's telling them is, I, I just gave you three clear examples of what love, love looks like. So what you are to do is to love like I've loved you. And what are those examples? Number one, he served them. Number two, he showed them the importance of presence one to another. And the third thing is he protected them from a Judas. And these three ways he demonstrated what love is. Let me unpack those a little bit more. Jesus showed them that he loved them by serving them. And in particular, he served them in a really lowly task. Like in this society and in this culture, they wore sandals everywhere they went, which I think I was meant for that era because I love wearing sandals. Birkenstocks, man. It's the most comfortable things ever. It, it should just be a normal thing for a pastor to wear Birkenstocks with any outfit they have, but I, they are, our church already makes fun of the way I dress enough, so that would just go, put me way down. So, But they, they would wear sandals everywhere they went, and it was dirty. And uh, So when they went into a house to enjoy a meal together, they would also be sitting on a table that was you know, about this high off the ground, and You'd have to lean to eat, and your feet would be, you know, in other people's faces. And how you, so you'd want their feet clean. That would be a very important thing to do. However, when it came the time to clean everyone's feet, um, you know, it's kind of like in a prayer meeting when you say it's time to pray, and everyone's looking around, who's going to do it? <laughs> Shouldn't be that way, though, but unfortunately it is. But when it would come time to wash the feet, it would be relegated to the servant if they had one. The servant would step up and clean the feet or the person that was known to be kind of the lower on the totem pole. 
the lowliest person there is the one that should go and wash the other people's feet. But they get into this room, they get into the upper room, and, and who is the one that leads into that and takes it and washes their feet? That's why Peter was so like shocked that, like, you're not going to wash my feet, which is hilarious. Um, so let me just read it, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. So certain are you. Jesus answered him, if you do not wash, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. That's just Peter, right? He's kind of all over the place. But the reason why Peter resisted right away was because that, he, he knew that was a lowly position. And here's Jesus, the rabbi. He is the one that has the highest position. And how dare he serve me? But Jesus was showing them that the heart of being a disciple, the, the heart of what it means to uh, be a follower of Jesus, he's giving them the example that the heart of Jesus' ministry, which our ministry should be his, is to be a servant of one another. Service before self. And this is also giving a picture of the fact that Jesus, this lowly man born of an unknown family, born in an unknown village, when Jesus is a servant. And he's showing them the example that if you want to know how you love, you do it by serving. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm grieved as I look at my own heart and my tendencies, and then I, I look out in the, the heart and the tendencies of the church today, and it seems like the craving and the desire is not for the lowly position, but for the high position the one that has the most accolades, the one that has the most praise, the one that has the most pat on the backs. And it seems like that it often seems that that's the test and the standard of a spiritual leader. But I pray by the grace of God, he'll continue to move in his church. And what we'll see is not a group of people that are concerned about how many people are under them, but they are concerned about how many people they are serving. The essence of gospel-centered leadership is not how many people are submitted under you, but the essence of gospel-centered leadership is how many people are you serving and serving even in a lowly task. And I thank God, I, I don't know people in your church, I know people, I think that is one great strength of our church that I'm so blessed with, is we have so many people, man, that like, like they just serve, they see, they, they do that, and I'm thankful for that, because what that is, is the grace of God in their life, and I'm sure, pa Pastor Dan, you could say the same thing of so many people here, right? That's a great example because that's what Jesus is teaching here is service before self. That truly to love one another is to serve one another. And how can you serve another person? You can serve another person when you die to yourself. Jesus served through the cross, through a bloody cross, and he died to serve them. But the second thing we also see in this text that reminds us of love is this idea of presence. Jesus institutes 
the, what we refer to as the Lord's Supper or communion. They, at this time, we look back at this, we call this the Last Supper, which was a monumental event because they, they were enjoying the Last Supper during Passover. And the purpose of, of Passover was to remember how God had delivered them, had delivered the Old Testament Israelites, and it was pointing ahead to this time when there would be a final sacrifice and a final Passover, which was Jesus, who was the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus is instituting this for the church to continue to have communion as we are going to, in a moment, perpetually, to remember the great sacrifice Jesus made, through his broken body, through his blood that was shed, but also to remember that Jesus is perpetually present with his people. By that, I'm not talking like he's present in the bread and the wine changes and it becomes Jesus' body. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it reminds us of his presence by the power of his Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us that are his. It reminds us of his presence. Jesus loved us so much. He wanted the church to know that, yes, I will leave you. I'm going to go to a place you can't go, but I will not forsake you. I will not leave you alone. I will send a comforter. And Jesus wanted us to know that he would always be with us. He wanted to teach us how important community is, how important presence is. And Jesus wanted to demonstrate his love by reminding us that he's always present with us. That's an important thing, isn't it? Do you know there's two ways to spell love? One is L-O-V-E, the other is T-I-M-E. Did you know that? That was free for some of y'all. Some of you probably heard that. What I mean by that is uh, you show love by giving time to one another, don't you? And Jesus wanted to remind his church that he would always be present with us. And I think a principle of love he wants the church to have is to continually be present with one another. That is a good thing when we can spend time together. The stair is dangerous, yeah. <laughs> I want to jump out, yeah. I don't know if people are ever listening or they get it, so I just want to like run out, like, come on, yeah, let's, let's do this, so. <laughs> but, but that's how he, he wanted to remind us of that, I think the principle is of how important it is to be present with one another. And I don't know how to change this. I think it's just a move of God. But like the early church, when they were like wrecked by God and they were changed and they were transformed, like they spent every day together. But for some reason in our ch church culture today, people are like, well, man, if I get to church one to twice a month, that's pretty good, right? I'm not even talking about spending time outside of that. What is going on? Maybe if we said it this way, that when, when you don't uh, place an importance about spending time with the body, maybe what we should just start telling them is, I just don't love you. Because that's what he was saying, right? Maybe we'd think about it differently. Final thing that Jesus loved was through protecting them. He, he actually kicked out one of the people in the midst. Because this person was in the ministry for the money. He was the treasurer, the one handling the money, the funds, and he was continually skimming a little bit for himself. And 
He was only involved in the game for the money. And Jesus is like, go do what you must do and go get that money. And he excommunicated them. That's also love as well, to protect the other people, but also to protect that person from themselves. To be deceived that what they're doing is acceptable in God's sight. So this is not a new command. The, command. the new part of the command is not to love. We've always been commanded to love. The new part of the command is to love like Jesus loved through serving, through presence, through protection. And the final thing I want to point out about this command is that this is also a command, this command to love like Jesus, Jesus is introducing as the apologetic for the church. As the, the, the late, great Francis Schaeffer said, the love that believers have for one another is the, final, is the final apologetic of the Christian church. Now, the term apologetic, it means a defense, to give a defense of the faith, and Francis Schaeffer is was saying that the greatest defense we can have of the faith is the love we have for one another. And that's what Jesus is introducing here. Verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's the final apologetic of the Christian faith. I love these verses, don't you? Teaching us an important lesson. And it's awesome when you see Jesus gives this command and as the century, next few, several hundred years go on, that the, the church really lived by it. And the, the Christians in this era, the church in this era, um, they were in a, an, under a very pagan Roman culture. And like the mustard seed, the church began to grow. It began to spread out. It began to get bigger. And it began to be at conflict with the Roman Empire of that day. The Christians, pretty much as this reckless, maverick, crazy group of people. Like, that's how they looked at them. Like, someone would get sick with the plague and... Everyone else in the Roman Empire would run away from them and quarantine them, and the Christians would go and care for them, risking their own life for it. They would do things like that. They would do things like they would resist saying that Caesar is king, even if it meant risking their own life. And when they did that, the Roman culture, they actually called them atheists. Isn't that interesting? The Christians were actually called atheists. And this was going on, and, and the, the gospel was permeating, the gospel was growing, it was going forth, and the Christian church was growing, and the people continued, continually witnessed this, and they said, man, like these Christians, they seem a little off. They seem a little crazy. They seem a little radical. They seem a little sold out. And they didn't know what to think of them. They didn't know how to think about them. But there was one thing that they continually exclaimed one to another. But one thing is evident about them. One thing is clear. And one thing speaks powerfully. Is that they, they said that was absolutely undeniable. 
And really, the gospel grew through the power of the love that was there. And the love that they had for one another didn't stop there. The love permeated into the culture around them. And the gospel continued to go forth through the power of Jesus' love. And here's the beautiful thing, my friends. That we love God because he first loved us. And we have the ability to love one another because God loved us. And as Romans 5 reminds us, that this love of God, which was demonstrated in the cross, which was demonstrated through the, the death, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, this act of love, this sacrificial love, has actually been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. We have the ability to love one another because God has first loved us, but he's also poured out his love in us like a drink offering, like our, our heart was like a cup and he poured the spirit into us and he shed abroad his love into us that we now have the ability to demonstrate this love one to another. We don't demonstrate that love enough. But I'm thankful for this evening tonight that we can gather together and to do that and to remind one another of how much God loves us and how much we love one another. Whether you're at Faith Church, whether you're at One, Church, one Life Church, whatever church it may be, let's praise God for the fact that we are loved by God and that we can love one another. Father, our God in heaven, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are utterly and completely overwhelmed as we contemplate the realities of divine love. God, our Father, you loved us and you commendeth your love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And Jesus, as you were here, you wanted to remind the believers to love like you have loved and you have comforted the disciples after you with the fact that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And that you have poured out your love through the Holy Spirit that God the Father you have shed abroad in our hearts. We thank you for this and we're overwhelmed by this, Lord. And gather God, our Father in heaven, may you remind us of the love you have for, for us. Be a loving community, one to another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Eric. So we're going to take communion or the Lord's Supper, just like in memory of what he has done, in remembrance of him. And I want to guide you and direct you in how we might do this tonight. Different churches do it different ways. We have a piece of bread for you to take and a cup to take. And two of our deacons are actually going to come down in just a minute and they're going to stand on, this, on the sides and... You'll come and you'll take a piece of bread and you'll come and take a juice and then you'll go to your chair and you'll wait and I'm going to lead you in taking it. I'll guide you to stand up, go down the sides aisle, come through here, go down the middle aisle and make a seat. So we'll wait just one second. I'm glad you're eager.
Praise God. Um, 1 Corinthians 10 says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The, this meal, the cup of blessing that we bless, because in a minute I'm going to bless it, I'm going to give thanks, just like Jesus blessed it and he gave it to his disciples. This cup of blessing, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? And then he says, is not this bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, consider, he says, we are many, we who are many are one body, but there, there is many but one body. Tonight, I mean, when you go and and I just miss you to go here and then come take communion. This is, do two things. Ponder his love on the cross. His love of serving us. His love of, of being present with us through the Holy Spirit, through the body of Christ, including with each other tonight. So sometimes it's awkward. Do I make eye contact with that person I don't know or who I do know or not? That's okay. And like push through that awkwardness and, and look and say, She's my sister in Christ. He's my brother in Christ. Even if I don't know him, or even if I don't know her, and pray for that person. We invite all people to take communion if they've put their faith alone in Christ Jesus their Lord to forgive them of their sins. They've turned away from and repented of their sins, turned to Christ, and and are following Jesus. And, And that's been marked by baptism and they're being part of a church. And we invite you all to participate in that. And so I, I pray that this would be a, a meal now of unity, a meal, uh, a meal in which we celebrate. Now, as Eric said, we, let's remember how he serves us and served us. Let's remember his presence and his protection. And as we, we remember his protection, let's be part of that protection by repenting of our sins of that, and protect each other from our own sin. And so let's protect ourselves from gossip and from complaining and whining and selfishness and say, God, please help us. So he took the cup, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He took the cup and he blessed it. And so let's do this. This meal symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus Christ our great covenant maker, keeper, and mediator.